Hello and welcome to another episode of the Back Check, the Hockey History Podcast. My name is Riley. Over there is Bill. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing great, thanks. And today we have a West Coast episode, um, specifically focusing on the Los Angeles Kings, and then because the Kings didn't exist in the old time, a player who played a lot in the PCHA and the WCHL. So um, first off, we have our eligible player, Dave Taylor, uh, only ever played for the Kings from 1977 to 1994. And then we have Luke Robitaille, I guess the most famous, the most iconic King aside from, I mean, you could get in, we could get in a debate about who's more iconic as a King, Dion, Robitaille, or Gretzky. But yes. I mean, Robitaille is certainly very associated with uh, the Los Angeles Kings. Oh, yeah. And then finally, uh, someone who is not associated in any way with the Los Angeles Kings is Frank Fredrickson, who played on the West Coast for a while um, in the 1920s. And so it has nothing to do with either of these guys. But when we when we make a Kings-focused uh, podcast and try to include a hockey old-timer, this is what we get. Uh, because there are no uh, Kings old-timers, obviously. Um, so we are starting off with Dave Taylor, the uh, longtime King, 17 seasons, 14 of them were quality. Um, scored over 400 goals, over 600 assists, almost 1,100 points, plus 186. Had a pretty good career. Um, yeah. 1,100 games, sorry. Uh, pretty, pretty good career. Uh, as we will talk about shortly, the main reason why someone with his numbers isn't in the Hall of Fame has everything to do with the era he played in. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and and also, uh, given that era, um, the uh, the even though he had, as we'll see, he had some pretty good seasons. Those seasons were not great relative to the league. So, uh, as usual, we like to talk about the draft, and he was drafted in 1975, 210th. Wow, which had to be like almost last. It was not quite last. It was seventh last. Wow. Yeah, like we that. do we do 211 players now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but they went they went higher than that at one point. They were oh, in the, wow. the 250s, I think. For well, a little, yeah, because I, could I be think wrong. they used to have like 12 rounds, but they had fewer teams, so I don't yeah. know how it worked out. But yeah, yeah. But uh, Taylor is by any stretch the best player in his draft. Uh, despite going 210th overall, as long as you like, don't count the guys who had way shorter careers. Yeah. So he's first in goals. He's first in assists. He's first in points. He's second in plus minus, but second to a guy who was on the Habs. Okay. In the, in the late 70s. <laughs> so, you know, giant asterisks there. Yeah. Uh, he's first in games played. And he's second in point shares by 0.5 point shares, which is not very much over career, to Don Edwards, the goaltender. So, who and goalies always have more point shares because they're yeah. uh, the way point shares are calculated. Goalies are are worth more. So, um, so the only like forwards that like compare are like Dennis Muruk, who just didn't play as long. Um, Muruk had a better career point per game wise, but like, is it Muruk or? How would you say it? Maroc? I've um, always said Maroc in my mind, but... Is it M-E-R-O-C? M-A-R-U-K. I would say Maroc. Do you not know this guy? No, I do not, no. Oh, he scored 60 goals in the early 1980s. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to talk about him at some point, because he had one of the best... 
individual seasons. He had the best individual season, season in the history of the Capitals. Wow. Um, Ovechkin's come ne- never come close to touching it, but he had it in like 1981. Oh, well, to be fair, I was an infant. So. Yeah. <laughs> and also, you know, everybody was scoring 130 points in 1981. Yes. Um, anyway, yeah, so like here's here's the other players. Uh, so Dave Taylor's number one in terms of total points. Merrill beats him as a points per game. But then there's Mel Bridgman, Tim Young, Pierre Mondu, who's the hab with the really high plus minus. Yeah, I, I know Pierre Mondu because I live in Montreal. <laughs> yeah. Michael Connell, Willie Plett, Doug Jarvis is another. Uh, yeah, that's another name. Name. Paul Holmgren. Like, it's a really weak draft. Um, there's only one player with 1,000 points, only four with 500 points. Man. Um, that's weird, eh? Games played, there's roughly, I want to say, maybe 17, no, 20, 20 guys with 500 games played. Wow. Yeah. It's like, it's it's a it's a shitty draft. <laughs> and Dave Taylor is your uh, MVP for the draft, I think, safe to say. I mean, Maruk is better. Like, the thing about Maruk is he, he had, like, he was more of a, he was a point-per-game player and Dave Taylor wasn't. But Merrick also has minus 78, and Dave Taylor has a plus 186. Yeah. So those are, I don't know, those, those are very big difference. Mm-hmm. And if you care, Dave Taylor also has 1,500 penalty minutes, and Merrick has less than half. Not that, that, not that we should, like, base Hall of Fame cases on penalty minutes, but, but given how important they were once viewed, yes, uh, that would be another argument in Dave Taylor's favor as the best player in the 1975 draft. Um, so, uh, era-wise, uh, he was one of 13 players to play in at least 1,066 games or 13 seasons between 77 and 94. And this is where you can sort of see that he's, you know, good but not elite. He was roughly a top six or top seven or top eight player in terms of uh, offense. Mm-hmm. And he's ninth in point shares. So he's one of the 10 best forwards of his era. Um, if you, if for players who played at least 13 full seasons between 77 and 94, but he's, you know, that's, it's, it, we've, we've talked about this a bunch. Yeah. It's like for us, I think, I, I think we've sort of come to an agreement on this. If you're in, if you're like a top five forward of your era, that's really notable, but top 10 is a little more squishy, you yeah. know, like, do I do we really want to induct every, like the ten best players from every arbitrarily defined era or ten best? Yeah, players? It's, I, I think it's the arbitrarily defined part that comes in there because maybe there's a guy who started in '78 who blows him out of the water, but he doesn't qualify because he didn't play in '77. So it's like yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I just try to do it as comparable, right? Like yeah, because like it's whatever you pick is gonna be arbitrary. If you go by decade, it's gonna be arbitrary. So you might as yeah. well pick an arbitrary thing that like you know, shows this guy's career as it compares to people at similar careers. Like, yeah. you know, speaking of similarities, I think the most, the most similar, uh, the most similar player career wise to, uh, Dave Taylor, according to hockey references, uh, similarity score is Glenn Anderson. Oh boy. <laughs> so that's interesting. I should, I should put that in the back of my mind for when we get to Glenn Anderson and I, I rant about how I don't think he belongs, but that's another story. <laughs> um, 
Taylor's average is slightly less than a point per game. It's 79 points per 82 games plus 14. So pretty good. However, get this. His three-year peak, 82-game average of 120 points. Wow. And plus 32. So how the hell, A, how the hell did that happen? And B, how the hell is this guy on the Hall of Fame, right? Well, (laughs) it happened between 1979 and 1982, and he was playing on the wing of Marcel Dion. So that had something to do with it. That's how that happened. Yes. Uh, I I meant to look this up, um, but I can't remember. Eighty two. I can't remember. Is eighty two or eighty one? Were like really really high like the the years are the really really big years in scoring are 93 as we all know 86 and i think it's 81 or 82 i can never remember which either way it's one of the top like three offensive seasons in the history of the league that that is included in this peak and dave taylor had like 106 points it might have been 81 where he had 112 in 72 games which is a lot yes um either way uh, his his stats are inflated um, as, like, when you adjust for era, it drops him down to 64 points per 82 games, which is 13 less per season. It's a big difference. Yeah. It's not quite the biggest we've seen, but it's close to it. I think we saw 19 for somebody. Yeah. Um, but uh, Taylor's playoff numbers are quite bad. Comparatively, uh, he's uh, 59 points minus 11 in 92 games. So way down from his uh, regular season. And some of that was just because he was on the Kings and they always lost. Oh, and then don't forget they were playing the Oilers and the Flames for most of his career, too. So they weren't just losing. They were getting shellacked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like he was he had one one playoff where he had 10 points in 10 games and was minus one. You know, there you go. Yeah. Um. You know, he just, and by the end of his career, he was playing a lot. But, uh, I mean, sorry, the, the Kings got better, and so he played in a lot of games, but he was no longer a star. Yeah. He was no longer the, like, the number one winger for Dion, or number two, depending on uh, when Simmer and uh, later uh, Robert High Nichols were there. But, like, for a while, like, you know, when, when Dave Taylor was scoring 110 points a season, it was, he was, you know... On, I think it, the line was Simner, uh, Dion, Taylor. If, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Um, uh, obviously, he doesn't have possession stats. Uh, as I mentioned, his adjusted stats are quite hard on him. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he was never traded. I mean, that's we we know that he's uh, he's a uh, <laughs> he was an, a king for life. Though his apparently his WHA rights were tw- were traded. No. Um, because I guess someone drafted in the WHA as they often did with NHL players. And then like, they just, they used his rights to like complete a transaction or something. Yeah, totally. When you um, know the guy's not coming there, it's like, yeah. Well. Like for, for, for a trade that involved someone named Craig Norwich for John Hughes in May, 1977. <laughs> um, there is one other thing that's notable uh, though I think I should have said this later, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, he had, he so he tied the record for the NCAA 
a single season point record in 1977, and that record wasn't broken until 1985. Wow. So. Not bad. Yeah. Um, I don't know why that's listed in his career. It should be later under accomplishments, but whatever. Fine. Um, yeah. So, despite having that ridiculous peak, he uh, he was rarely a star. He was a top ten player by point shares only once. He was a top ten offensive player only twice. He's top ten in goals only once. Top ten in goals per game twice. You know, he was basically in the in the top ten or top. He was top five in points once, but like he was, he basically had one year. One or two years, depending on the category, where he compared yeah. like in in among the elite players in the league, and of course that was back when the league had twenty whatever it was teams. Twenty one. Uh, twenty one. So uh, you know, top ten is less impressive than it is in a thirty team league. Um, and he, yeah, so he just he he you know he scored forty goals a bunch of times. He had one hundred and ten points, like I said once, one hundred points twice. But these things were not super you know, standout. They weren't standout uh, compared to the league. I mean, people were scoring 100 and... Well, Gretzky was scoring 200 points, so... (laughs) Yeah. But Gretzky's on another planet. Yes. But even guys who were not Gretzky were scoring 130. Yeah. Fairly regularly. A bunch of... There's a long list of people who scored 130 points in the 80s. So... Um, Including Dio. Uh, he was a second-team All-Star once, though, which is interesting because there are guys we've talked about with better careers who were never second-team All-Stars. So I guess that was just, it was the nature of the league. It was smaller league, and also playing with Dion really helped. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm really, uh, so something they've done in the NBA that they haven't done in the NHL is they've actually now had a third-team end-of-season All-Star team. Really? Yeah, and... And it's because the league's really big, and because in I don't I don't know if this is true in the NHL. I assume it's true, but in the NBA, your um, like the CBA actually takes account into like end of season awards, and you can get more money if you like you get performance bonuses based on like making an All Star team, and. That's why they have the third team because like not enough guys were able to make the second, right? Because like that's what ten guys, you know, um, at in a league of of three hundred and seventy players or one well, no, way more than that. Um, anyway, a lot of players, right? So, um, I don't know. I just it's interesting, like. It, it might be something the NHL should have. I don't know. Um, depending on, I mean, I think a lot of people would be bothered by that, and there'd be lots of accusations that the league is like coddling people. But <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that's not a bad thing to acknowledge. People have a third team, but anyway. I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like the NBA has to do it just because of how. There's so few players in the league and there's so much talent that really like it feels kind of jerky to not recognize. Yeah. This guy, this guy is an all-star if it's not for these superhuman beings that make the first and second. Like, <laughs> like otherwise there's just no depth, right? I mean, it's literally this team's best. Like there's no acknowledgement of, hey, you might be riding shotgun to one of the greatest players we've ever seen. 
How about yeah. we give you some recognition? You know, like otherwise, how's Scotty Pippen getting on a team or a guy like that? You know, like yeah. Um, I I feel like the the NHL could benefit from it, but I feel like they would have to if they were going to do third team All Stars. I would feel like they'd have to dif- differentiate it in like a almost like an unsung hero kind of way. Like okay, this guy is a fantastic defensive defenseman and he's never making that team. You know, this guy is, you know, one of the best face-off men and like an outstandingly good defensive center, but he gets 20 points a year. Like almost recognize those guys more. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I don't feel like it fits in hockey culture as much. It's not as much of okay. a star driven league. Yeah. Uh, fair but, enough. So. I don't know. I just, I think we like, we pay attention to these things and like, you know, you're being, as we've talked about many times, being in the all-star game is like, you know, you could be the team's sole representative. Like, who cares what that is, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas if you don't, like, we, we've definitely seen people's careers where they never made an end-of-season All-Star team. And you're like, really? That's a surprise. Why didn't they? Or they make one. And you're like, that's weird. I don't know. It's not something was, I had, honestly had not even thought this out before I, like, spewed this out of my mouth. It was really no, un- I, I think usually in those cases, it's they already have one or two guys who are, like absolute hall of fame slam dunks. So they're not going to send three or four guys from that team. So they never make it to those all-star games. And it's like the guy might've been hall of fame worthy or just not an absolute like first ballot hall of famer, the way those other guys were. So how's he getting, if you have to name one player from each team, how's he getting on the team? You know? Well, so, so, but that's what I mean. So then when you have, if you expand the size of the end of year, all-star teams, then you get some recognition for the guys who maybe they're really good but because there are 31 teams in the league, there's and there's only 10 spots, yeah. you know, you get guys. You by opening up to 15, you're you're still not talking about a lot of players, right? It's yeah. still going to be stars who make it yeah. to the team. It's just there's going to be some recognition. Oh, this guy had a really good year, it just wasn't quite like yeah. as elite. I don't know. I mean, it's not some. I certainly haven't looked. Like I don't know of any outrages off the top of my head. Um, aside from positional ones yeah. um, that I can think of, but I was just more thinking of like, I, I just realized as we were talking about Dave Taylor, that I was like, Oh wait, the NBA has already like expanded it because they were like, well, not enough guys are getting this recognition. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe it just makes no sense in hockey. Anyway, I just, cause I just think it's funny that Dave Taylor made a second team all-star and then like some other guys, I, I can't think of some, but we've definitely remarked upon some. Was it Zubov maybe? Maybe. Yeah. There was somebody who had, like, a really good career who, like, never made a, a first or second team at the end of the season. And it was just, like, and we talked about it, and it was, like, shocking. Yeah. And I was just, like, hmm, that's weird. And it, it so that, it's sort of luck, right? Like, it it, it depends what, what year you have your best season. Totally, you know? yeah. And it, so it so happens that Dave Taylor had his best season when they there were spaces for right wingers. Yeah. You know? But I, I, I also feel like, as, you know, as nice of a sort of feather in their cap that might be to say I was a second team NHL all-star my best season it's like yeah it, it's still just like th- does that ever push anyone over for we got to induct this guy I don't know no, I really no. It does. yeah no it doesn't but it, it does me, it's like you know it's putting a hat on a hat for me like I'm oh like, fair enough a- a- any award that where it's like it's voted I'm like yeah, but like, you know, some like, you know, like Lidstrom won. This is famous. My my gripe with Lidstrom where most people will be like, but he was amazing. But like, yeah, no doubt he was amazing. But he also won a Norris trophy with a minus three. It's like yeah. I, I kind of I take issue with that. 
And again, it's a voted award. That's not where my vote would have gone, so it doesn't carry very much weight with me. Whereas, you know, you get a guy like Bobby Orr, and it's like, yeah, he won eight in a row. It, there's no question. Like, it's not even close. Like, okay, that's that's a, a, an award where clearly there was no other way to vote. Then you get into awards where it's like, we, you know, is it going to be Dowdy? Is it going to be Pietrangelo? Is it, who's it going to be? It's like, well, can we just acknowledge they all had great seasons and whoever won the award, it shouldn't shouldn't really push them over or take them away from being in the Hall of Fame when it comes down to it. Like, But yeah. I mean, pe- when people argue about it later, sometimes this stuff does, right? Yeah. Like when, when Zubov got inducted, not to get too far off track, but one of the things I noticed people saying is like he only finished top five in Norris voting whatever times. Yeah. Because he was playing in Dallas. Yeah, and he's the, Russian. Yeah, and he's Russian. And the, the, the Eastern sports media were not watching him. And it's just like, like that kind of stuff matters later, right? And that's yeah, I guess that's yeah. the only reason why I would say, off the top of my head, a third team might help players like that because they would get on more. But anyway, we're getting way off topic. That's my fault. I just <laughs> uh, I just realized right now that the NBA expanded theirs and the NHL didn't. So back to Dave Taylor. And speaking of awards, uh, he, he did win a Masterton and a Clancy in the same season. We don't really care about those, but I was just mentioning them. But what he did do is he won the uh, ECAC, so that's, uh, I believe, the Eastern Conference, sorry, Eastern College Athletic Conference or something like that, uh, Player of the Year in 1977, and also uh, led Division I hockey in scoring that season. So he he had a pretty good college career. Yeah. And uh, so that's something that we shouldn't, depending on your view of the Hockey Hall of Fame, we shouldn't ignore. Um, I mean, we talked about it with, a little bit with Korea, like how much, you know, stock do you put in like amateur success? Yeah. Um, but Korea had arguably significantly more pro success than Dave Taylor did. Yes. Well, I mean, like, I don't know, Dave. Korea, we know he was cut short because of injury, but I, yeah. I, I, I would say, you know, probably up until Korea, probably the most notable probably the most notable uh, college hockey player who really hit it big, unless I'm missing somebody like LaFontaine or um, that went to college route instead. I, I, I think it probably was Dave Taylor for a while. Yeah. Uh, I think you're right. I mean, uh, college wasn't, I mean, he's got to be one of the earliest successes, right? I mean, look how low he was drafted yeah. despite tying the record for uh, college scoring they still drafted him. Well, sorry, that happened after he was drafted. Sorry. Uh, it was actually the year before he came into the league. Uh, so never mind. But, like, he uh, he did, you know, he, he didn't have the pedigree um, of a, a, a junior player because, I mean, he was drafted seventh last. Uh, but then he went and had this illustrious career, right? So. Yeah. Um. But he didn't have a lot of inter. Uh, he w- he was not. He didn't have a lot of team success in the NHL because he was uh, who he, dra- he was drafted by. Um, so his only notable team success is that he was at the very end of his career. He was on that Kings team that went to the finals and lost to uh, the Habs when Patrick Waugh, uh went crazy. Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, that was the second last year of his career, um, and so he did not play a major role in that. Uh, he was he's seven points in 22 games in 1993 is not a lot. 
Um, and then he never, he was never uh, on any uh, successful Canadian international teams because he just was probably too far down the de- depth chart. Yeah, just, to be my guess. It's Team Canada. I mean, like, yeah. the the guy, the guys that are left off of Team Canada are like, there are some guys who are left off Team Canada where like, it's not. I don't think it's true anymore. But in many, many cases, there were guys who were left off of Team Canada. But, like, he would be the first-line player for any other country. Especially back except then, Except for maybe right? Russia. Except for maybe Russia. He would be first-line yeah. on any other country. Uh, and especially the U.S. until they, they really started to catch up in terms of their top-end talent. Obviously, yes. Canada still has a lot more depth of how many good players we have. But, like, the top-end talent is very similar now. So you get a guy who doesn't crack team Canada. You're like, he probably still makes team USA pretty easily, but I don't think he's playing on the first line anymore. He's probably on the third line, you know, like that kind of thing. I, I think Dave Taylor in 1980, early eighties is a first line American. Oh, I would say NHL, so. uh, international player hands yeah. down. Um, because I don't know that they had anyone else who was scoring 45 goals in the NHL. Um, well, uh, Joe, Joey Mullen came along. Yeah, but he's Mullen's younger. Oh, I know he's. I know he's younger. I'm just saying towards the end of his. Career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't know when he was born, but um, I'm just gonna look it up. Um, oh, look at me being totally wrong. He's only two years younger than Dave Taylor. Yeah. Oh, shows you what I know. Um, anyway, uh, I mean, I think it's for me, it's a e- very easy decision. Oh yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, not not in yeah. I. I he was never quite a star, and his best years are very much skewed because of when he played. Yeah, absolutely, and he, and and who he played with too, right? Like playing with Marcel yeah. Dion is yeah. going to make just about anybody look good. I mean, Marcel Dion was a slam dunk, can't believe he never won a cup in his career kind of Hall of Famer, right? Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. So, um, but he Dave Taylor did like sort of in many ways embody the Kings for a long time because he played there forever and uh, I'm sure he was captain at some point. Um, he uh, you know but then the player who now perhaps more than anybody embodies the Kings works for them um, and uh, you know was on the Kings I think three separate times was it twice or three separate times the Robitaille was on the Kings so I gotta look this up uh, it was. Three separate times that he was on the Kings. Um, his beginning of his career, middle of his career, end of his career. <laughs> Luke Robitaille is uh, perhaps more than any other player identified with the franchise. He played 19 seasons in the NHL, 17 of which were quality. And of those, 14 of them were for the Kings. Um, looks like the slight majority of them at the beginning of his career, and then he played three, four seasons in the middle, and then his two final seasons were also for the Kings. Um, he is, uh, he, of course, scored well over 600 goals, uh, closer to 700. He had 700 assists, th- almost 1,400 points. Um, so this is where we get into tricky territory. Depending on your definition, Robitaille might have the most goals by a left wing, in the history of the NHL, yeah. um, and he might have the most points by a left wing in the history of the NHL because sometimes it's it's you know uh, you know better than me. It's a little fuzzy sometimes um, when people 
who's considered a left wing for, for their entire career. Um, so he probably has those records. Yeah, which, well, I mean, the, the thing is, too, when you're thinking about um, left wings are notoriously lower scoring than right wings and centers. They just yeah. are. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's the way the game is played. I don't know if it's because until the Russians sort of flipped the way that that was played and actually played guys on their off wing so yeah. that the shot was closer to the net. And then you get a guy like Ovechkin. And until until the big right-handed one-timer became like the ultimate weapon in hockey, like I remember watching back in the old days and like the big, big one-timers was not really a thing. And now it's every team that has a great power play has that guy like Ovechkin or Stan Coast yeah. down on that dot. And if you feed it over to him and he's open, it's going in. Like you cannot but, stop it. So that's changed the way that the left winger position, like Ovechkin, obviously, if he hasn't already passed, Robitaille is about to. Uh, it, Robitaille is a left-handed shot who played on left wing in the traditional sense. And yeah. as far as I know, is quite a bit above the next left-handed left left winger who played that position purely so it's even more impressive because right wings have always been higher scoring and uh you know so have centers so i mean it's it's something for sure our our mutual friend once said i once asked him this question our mutual friend ryan um because i was like what the hell and one of the things he said and i have never bothered to verify this so (laughs) sorry if it's not true ryan um is that Left-handed shots traditionally were often centers. Uh, it was a common thing way back when, yeah. is that the right-handed shot would be the right wing, the best left-handed shot. Like selected, for, I mean, he didn't put in these words, but selected for it at an early stage would be would be uh, sort of funneled into the center role earlier on. And so when you got to the pure left hand left-handed shot, or sorry, left shot, left wing, it was like the like next group down from the centers who were getting selected, which is why you ended up with less talent. I don't know if that's true. I've never looked into it, but that's what he told me like 15. I don't know why I even remember this. This has been like 15 years ago. I had this conversation (laughs) with him or maybe 10. I don't know. It was a long time ago, but I was like literally just asking like, why the hell are there so few like, you know, high scoring left wingers? What the hell? And I, what I hadn't thought about is what you had said about like how, it it was you know it wasn't until the russians came in and like broke the tradition that maybe something about forcing those guys over so that their stick was o- over close to the boards maybe that was limiting their effectiveness in a way you know yeah and i i, I think also unless they were really talented like bobby hall I, yeah i i think also in hockey um there's a, there's a certain thing where uh, traditionally, you know, most goalies catch with their left hand. Yeah. Most, you know, left hand, most, most guys are left-handed shooter. The right-handed shot is a little more rare. I think even today it's becoming yeah. more popular because they have these gigantic one-timers and that they're always able to play on their off wing and be able to get off a shot in different ways. But th- there have been times like, like even in the like last 20 years, where I've been watching the Canucks and I'm like, we don't have any right-handed shots. Everybody's a lefty. What the hell's going on? And yeah. Detroit famously had that, uh, like, all their D pairings, and every guy was a left-handed shot. They had no right-handed shot defenseman at one point. It's like, got to be driving the coach nuts. <laughs> just You don't even have that option. And it's just the, the, the righty shot matters. And I think for a long time, 
a lot of people just played hockey left-handed and I don't know why that is. I don't know if it, I think it's a uniquely Canadian thing. And since most hockey players came from Canada for so many years, uh, we tended to have more left-handed players, but especially like there's even a a golf statistic, the most, the highest percentage of left-handed golfers in the world is in, is in Canada and even more specifically in Quebec. Because so many people play hockey and start playing hockey first, they shoot left. So when they pick up a golf club, they want to hit it left as well. <laughs> Which is totally like counterintuitive to me, yeah. because not that I was any good, but I grew up with baseball. Yeah. And so I would want, if I were switching to hockey, <laughs> I would want to shoot right, even though I'm right-handed. Yeah. You know, because yeah, I, because my my baseball stance is that way. Yeah. You know? I, I I hit baseball. I hit left. Uh, golf, I hit left. Hockey, I hit left. But I'm right-handed. It's my yeah, yeah, my super. Hands at the top. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a weird thing that it sort of seems to be unique to hockey, and that a lot of them started as left-handed players. Yeah. Um, and it's just I, I don't I don't know what it is. I don't know why the righty shot is rarer in hockey. It's a little bizarre to me, but uh, I think it definitely had something well, to do. Like I, I think what Ryan said must have some sort of, even if it's a minor influence, even if it's not as pronounced today, at some point, it must have been something like that, where you're like, oh, you're really good, you shoot left, you're going to be a center. Oh, you're really good, you shoot left. Because like the righty center, even today in the NHL, there's not that many of them. Yeah. But the- ha- having that righty center is a huge advantage too when you're taking a defensive zone draw and you don't want, want him to whip it back towards his own goalie. It's a huge advantage to win it into the corner. So it's nice. The other thing, point. though, is that if it's if it is like if if it's just always going to be your 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 handed, you know, whatever is your dominant hand at home is going to be the top hand on the stick, then you're always going to have fewer right handed shots. Right. Exactly, just because I, I've known a lot of, of the, the demographics. I one of the, one of uh, one of the hockey players I used to play with is right handed, but was a right handed shot when he played hockey. And yeah. the, the this was, you know, in the in the early days of everybody being able to do a toe drag and dipsy doodle through everybody's skates with the stick yeah. handling. And he had moves where I'm like, I can't even see the puck. What are you doing? And yeah. he's like, well, my right hand's at the bottom, so I'm really strong and I can do stuff that I wouldn't be able to do if I played the other way. Like he kind of thought yeah. it like I guess he was sort of ambidextrous and had thought it through. And yeah. he he had these like his hands were the best hands I think I've ever seen live in person. But he wasn't the biggest guy, and he just end up getting checked to death in the contact leagues and have to come back down and play house league because he didn't want to get a concussion and die. But, it, uh, it, but it, he could stick handle like it was unbelievable. And it's, it's just he, he figured it out. He's like, yeah, my power hands at the bottom, so I'm way better. It just goes to show you that sometimes bucking the orthodoxy is a good idea. Yeah. Um, while you were we were talking about this, I did I did look it up, and sure enough, Robotai is far and away the leader in left-handed. Uh, sorry, left shot, left wingers. Um, next is Bobby Hull, who is 58 goals behind him for his career. So, yes. So we've confirmed that. Um, yeah, and, 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 and Bobby Hull also had a weapon that, like, no one in the history of hockey ever had. Yeah. Where he would literally fire one up up high at the beginning of the game so the goalie would kind of crap his pants because he didn't wear a face mask and then would come in and just shoot them all bottom corner and the goalie wouldn't even move just like oh god don't hit me now oh, of course god, bobby hall played way less time in the uh, nhl than oh, robotai did yeah. 400 fewer games so yeah. um and also points wise robotai is also ahead though he's only a 25 or so ahead of music who is second in terms of left-handed sorry left shot uh, left wings anyway 
that was a interesting little diversion um so uh we are going to talk so so robotai is the all-time goal and point leader um for a uh a left shooting left wing um we are going to talk about his draft, which is the 1984 draft, um, the Lemieux draft, one we've talked about yeah. at least a little bit. Um, so, of course, Robitaille is not the best player in this draft. <laughs> However, um, depending on uh, how you... He's probably number three. So, uh, he's third in goals behind Brett Hall and Lemieux. My he is second in uh, he's second in assists behind Lemieux, and he is uh, second in points behind Lemieux, but barely out of Brett Hall by only three points, funnily enough, and in way more games than Brett Hall. We're talking about uh, oh, I don't know, a hundred and like sixty more games. So point per game, Hall had the better career, which is not a surprise to anybody. Um, and then he's. He's way down on plus minus. He's like 10th. Um, but in games played, he's, he's first. Or tied for first with Scott Mellenby, actually. Um, so, you know, he's one of the top couple players of that of that very good draft. Uh, you know, there was uh, multiple Hall of Famers in it. Uh, Patrick Waugh as well. Yes. Kirk McLean. Yay, Kirk! Um Kirk Muller, Gary Roberts, Cliff Ronning, Gary Suter, Scott Mellenby, Stefan Richet, Ed Olchuk, Shane Corson, Kevin Hatcher, Ray Shepard, Mikhail Pavanka, Jeff Brown. It's a deep, it's the it's the polar opposite of the 1975 draft. Wow. I, you just said Mikhail Pavanka. I haven't thought about that guy in legitimately 20 years. That's well, amazing. <laughs> there's your opportunity. Thank you. I Peter Savota. Yeah. Um, bunch of guys. Anyway. Al Iafredi. Um lots and lots of players uh, from that draft. Robitaille is probably the third best player, I think we want to say, depending on how you feel about Kirk Muller and Gary Roberts. Uh, no, I'm definitely uh, look Robitaille. Yeah. I, I actually might even put him above Brett Hall. Hot take. Yeah. Well, just Brett, like I've said before, Brett Hall was a one-trick pony, and yeah, he was the best probably ever at slapping that puck. As a one-timer, but a better all-around hockey player, I think I take I think I take Luke Robitaille every day. Yeah, fair enough. He, and I, he didn't have much to play with in LA either. And you know, Brett Hull went from good team to good team with like a superior passer throughout his entire career. That's true. He always had a good center. Yeah. Uh, Luke Robitaille did not always have a good center. Um, all right. So era-wise, uh, 16 players played in 250 games between '86 and 2006. Robitaille is second in goals in that time, but he is more of a top 10 player in uh, terms of points and assists. So, you know, you could, you could definitely, if he wasn't the all-time leader in goals and points by left wing, I guess you could quibble with that, right? You could say, well, he wasn't one of the elite players of his era, except for the fact he's playing a, a position which historically... Uh, is a position that scores less than the other two forward positions. Yeah. Um, he is not a point-per-game player. His 82-game average is slightly below that. It's 80 points for 82 games. But uh, his uh, three-year peak is not quite as nice as Dave Taylor's, but it's still quite good. 110 points per season. 
again when the league was peaking. But unlike uh, unlike Taylor, Robitaille maintained. Uh, you know, the, there's a reason Robitaille has way more points than Dave Taylor does. He maintained production um, significantly longer. You know, he didn't just have one peak. He actually, the peak that I focused on is only, um, you know, not all his best seasons were around that time. Uh, his best seasons are kind of spread out a little bit. Um, his, his, uh, he retired before possession was tracked. Um, he has, his playoff numbers are also actually not great, just like Dave Taylor's, but he played way more. 127 points minus 17 in 159 games, which is a fair amount of playoff games. And, and I mean, I, I again, he's at start of his career. They make the playoffs and they're getting shellacked by the Flames or the Oilers every time. Yeah, right? yeah. So, well, he's yeah. minus like his whole early career. Yeah, he's like he's my his Kings playoff seasons. He's minus 35. Good Lord. So, yeah, so he makes it back up later when he's on decent teams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when he was on the Rangers and when he was on the, the Red Wings, he's plus basically the entire time. Yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah. Rangers plus eight, Detroit plus five, Pittsburgh plus five. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. Now, he was minus ridiculous on the cup, in the Kings Cup run in 93. He was minus 13. Really? Wow, yeah. that's shocking. Yeah. So, I don't mean, know what that's about, but... Me neither. I, uh... Yeah. I only remember, I remember hating the Kings because they beat the they beat Vancouver that year. Then right. I remember them in in that Leaf series. But I wonder I wonder if uh, I wonder if that Leafs team pumped a bunch by him or if he was on the ice for tons of goals against Montreal. I don't know which one it was, but yeah, yeah. I, I honestly I I honestly don't know. Um, shall we talk about trades? Yes, let's do. So we've got. Three of them, because uh, he changed teams a lot, despite the fact he kept coming back to the Kings. But some of those teams were like some of those changes were free agents. But early in his career, he was well earlier in his career, he was traded a bunch. Um, and some of them are quite interesting. Um, so first of all, um, when he was around 28 years old, he was traded um, by himself for Rick Tockett and a second round pick in the 95 entry draft, which. Um, I mean, I know it didn't work out for Pitts, like his time in Pittsburgh didn't work out because they traded him a year later. Yeah. But like Rick Tockett's time in LA didn't work out either. Yeah. In part because Rick Tockett was two years older than uh, the yeah. Grove time. Um, you know, Rick Tockett, the second half of his career was really, uh, you know, not the first not, half. Not the same Rick Tockett, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why I wasn't paying enough attention then, but like me neither. But I would I would assume it's sort of that uh, power forward plays yeah. the game rougher than most. You just you you hit thirty or thirty one or some for some guys thirty two. And unless you're Jerome McGinley or some sort of you know, I, I would assume Cam Neely would have been the same if it wasn't for his knees. You know, there's certain guys who keep plowing through because they're just that good. But man, it takes it takes such a toll on your body. You're just never the same. So I think yeah. it's that's sort of what happened to Rick Tockett. Yeah. So I, my guess is the second round pick is in there because Tockett's older than Robitaille. Yeah. Right. Um, and the second round pick didn't turn into much, but uh, I mean it's an interesting trade in the sense that because Robitaille had like long career. I mean they both had long careers uh, ahead of them after that, but Robitaille was considerably more productive. 
um, over the second half of their careers. And mind you, it just wasn't for Pittsburgh because of what they did the year later. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's hard to pick. Like for me, it's hard to pick a winner and loser because like, like LA certainly didn't win, but like Pittsburgh because of what they did later didn't win either. Um, yeah. It just seems like it's a bit of a wash. Yeah. It just uh, didn't work out for anybody. Yeah. The next trade is crazier. And as a year later, the uh, the Penguins traded Robitaille and Ulf Samuelson for, get this, Peter Nedved and Zubov. Wow. Which should, on its face, have really worked out for the Penguins. Yes. Um, but didn't. Yeah, because uh, Peter Nedved just, man, like that guy was... Ugh. The pick still irks me because he was picked by Vancouver. Um, Just, man, he should have been just something else and just never quite was. He did have... um, Oh, don't get me wrong. He was a fine player. He just not a number two overall pick, you know? Yeah, yeah. But that's the curse of of Vancouver. We always get the number two pick, not the number one pick who becomes a Hall of Famer. Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of our jam. So he did uh, go on to have his best his best year of his career shocking because he was playing with Yager and Lemieux um, <laughs> after this trade. Yeah. And then uh, this is Ned, that I'm talking about. And then um, he, uh, um, for reasons that are beyond me, he played another season for the Penguins and was traded back to the Rangers. Um, who knows why, where he then proceeded to not be as good. Uh, but anyway, um, the thing now, I wasn't, I really wasn't paying attention. I I don't know why Zubov didn't work out in Pittsburgh. I've I've heard people talk about it, but I don't. I didn't watch. I don't know why. I know he wasn't necessarily the player he would become in Dallas, um, but at least talent wise, this feels like. I get it didn't work out for either team, but like yeah. talent wise, it feels like a a mistake on the part of uh, the Rangers. Well, uh, I I. I... Were they loading up again to try to go for the cup? Well, it was, like, it was summer '95. Yeah, so you got to figure they're trying to. Yeah. They're trying to, you know, the Devils just won the cup. They're like, let's take another run at this. Ulf Samuelson's a good, rock solid sort of tough, tough as nails defenseman that was very prized in that era. Um, yeah. And they figured if we can get Luke Robitaille, you know, we're gonna still be. They still had Messier. They still had all those guys. They're like, if we get him a good left winger, maybe this is gonna click. Yeah. You know, yeah, and it wasn't. You know, they went. I believe they went to the conference finals in '97, so it wasn't yeah, the worst. That's you right. Know. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just anyway. It's one of those trades again where like you can sort of by looking at it, you can sort of see what they were thinking, but yeah. like it didn't. Again, they were neither player was like a permanent solution. None of the players involved were permanent solutions for their teams because they all got traded again not that long afterwards. Which brings us to the final trade, which happened two years later, when Robitaille was traded back to L.A. from the Rangers for the ghost of Kevin Stevens. Ah, yes. So that worked out very poorly for the Rangers and much better for uh, the Kings, because Robitaille played, I don't know, four more years for the Kings that that stretch, I think. Three more, four more. Yeah. And Uh, And he had, you know 
pretty good years. I mean, for the yeah, yeah. late 90s, he was putting up 70. He put up 88 points in 2001 for them. Wow. It's pretty great for the fact that he was, whatever he was, 30, 34. Yeah. Whereas Kevin Stevens was, uh, you know, he did manage to score 20 goals once for the Rangers at some point. Well, being a minus 10. Wow. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was basically that was the, he was not the, he was not the, uh, I, I've always, I have a question for you. Yeah. You know, Robitaille's famous line about fire hydrants and Lemieux? <laughs> yeah. Was it Kevin Stevens who was the fire hydrant? I always I assumed it was. I, I can't remember. Or was it Rob Brown? I don't know. Are you okay. sure it was about Lemieux and not Gretzky? I, feel I like thought it was about Lemieux. I think that's a quote about Gretzky. Oh, okay. I thought. I think, I, I think it was about Dave Semenko. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. I think it was like, you know, like, oh, Semenko had like 25 goals last year. It's like, yeah, Fire Hydrant would have had 30. I think that was the quote. But okay. I, I can't remember the exact quote. It's. Uh, I always thought it was about Lemieux. I've never looked it up, though. But Yeah, we should. <laughs> yeah, we should probably look it up. Yeah. Um, all right, so those are the trades. Uh, I, I certainly found the first two quite interesting. The last one yeah. was, you know, whatever. It worked out well for the Kings. Um, Robitaille won the Calder in 87. And unlike Dave Taylor, this is where he distinguishes himself a fair amount. He was a uh, top five offensive player three times, and he was top ten seven times. There you go. Um, so a lot more, uh, and this is by point shares, or offensive point shares, sorry. Um, and he was he was more frequently in uh, top offensive categories, uh, you know, top ten nine times in goals, um, top ten four times in points, that kind of thing, much more frequently. Um, he famously scored 60 goals once, uh, and he 50 goals three times, which is a lot for a left wing. And he had 120 points once. You know, he he, he uh, put up points a fair amount. He also uh, was a first team All Star five times because his position helped him there. <laughs> I yeah. think like it's safe to say that like. I'm not saying Dave Taylor was anywhere near comparable to Luke Robitaille, but had Luke, uh, Dave Taylor been a left wing with those numbers, he might have been on a first team at some point. Um, like 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 Charlie Simner probably was. Uh, I should look that up, but I, I'm just assuming. Um, can you hear my dog in the background? Uh, I heard a little something there, but nothing oh, okay. now. Because, uh, like, he's whining, and I can hear him, and I was just wondering if, if everyone can hear him or not. Anyway, my dog is now <laughs> participating in the show. Um, he also... So here's this weird thing about Luke Robitaille, which I you you might be able to help me out here. I don't know. He he has He's good enough that he had an award named after him, but it's a weird one. <laughs> it is the QMJHL trophy for the team with the best goals average. Wow. I didn't even know that. Um, I didn't know that until I was doing this. Man. Um, so goals average would be goals four, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, the most goals scored, I guess, on average. Yeah. Which is just like, is that a thing that other leagues care about? It doesn't seem like they do. I don't know, but the Q is very high scoring. So I think yeah. that sort of maybe maybe they just wanted to acknowledge how great he was in the Q. Because yeah. a, a lot of times, like, Robitaille obviously went on to a fantastic NHL career. But there's been some guys who have absolutely lit up the queue yeah. uh, and have set records. And then they go to the NHL and they're like, a third, well, like uh, Guy Carbono is a really good example. He 
reinvented himself in the NHL and became one of the best defensive forwards to ever play, probably. Um, but in the queue, he was an offensive star. And I think when he got to the NHL, they just sort of realized, like, you're, you're good, but you're not going to be great at this. You need to sort of find other areas of your game to be great. And so yeah. he did. But in the queue, he was just – he would score so – he was just better than everybody he was playing against, I would assume. And then yeah. got to the NHL and realized, oh, guys are as fast as me and as big as me. And, oh, boy. Speaking so, of – Yeah, go ahead. Speaking of the Q Robitaille's final season, he had 191 points in 63 games. Sounds about right for that era. Yeah. What did Lemieux have? 300 points? Probably. Probably. Yeah, seriously, I think I think it was legitimately like 300 points. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised. Um. So, uh, he also had a fair amount of because of his position in particular. Robitaille had a fair amount of international or great team success. Um, he was, of course, as we mentioned, he was on that '93 Kings team, where by points anyway, he was on the top line. I assume he was on the top line. I don't remember. Um, he was also on that '97 Rangers team that went to the uh, the conference finals, and then finally he was on the uh, 2002 Red Wings. But he was a more of a role player on that team, who were just loaded. That team, right? There were so many. There were I don't know how many Hall of Fame players were on the 2002 Red Wings, but there was a lot of them. Yes, that was the that was the year every free agent signed with them, and they basically bought themselves a cup. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because there was no salary cap back then, so I think they yeah. spent like I think what they spent is now very close to what the salary cap is. Dollars <laughs> that year, it's ridiculous. Um, I, I basically don't even count that cup. I'm so mad about it still. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you're mad about that. I, what I'm mad about is uh, is the Leafs choking against the Hurricanes in the in the series before that because uh, that was one of the years that they made the conference finals in, in my lifetime. And uh, they I don't remember the number now, but the number that sticks in my head is they scored six goals in six games against the Hurricanes. I don't know. It was probably slightly more than that. <laughs> but they barely scored against the Hurricanes, and you're just like, come on. Yeah. Come on. And not that they would have. Uh, not that they would have been those Red Wings, they wouldn't have, but like, oh no, they would have got like slaughtered, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they yeah, would have tried to play with them, they would have tried to skate with them, and that's, yeah. that's a mistake, yeah. Uh, um, anyway, uh, so back to Robitaille, um, he was also, um, on the uh, Canada Cup team in '91 that won, but he was yeah. again more of a role player, and uh, he won a world championship in 1994. And uh, he was also uh, on a world junior team that came in second in 86. So he uh, now he only had a prominent role, offensive role on one of those teams or a really, really prominent role, which was the world championship team. But still, he was getting, you know, he got um, and those are only the successful ones. He was on some others as well. Um, He had, uh, you know, he was he was definitely in demand for international play in part because uh, as we talked about his position, but also, you know, because he was very good. So for me, I I find him a fascinating case because I think he's an absolute no-doubter because of it. I mean, anybody who has the most points for a position in history, uh, you know, um, should be in the Hall of Fame. Oh, absolutely, yeah. 
I also find it's it's interesting because if you do look at him by era, you know, he he looks less impressive. Um, and and so that part I find fascinating because it is this whole thing about this whole handedness thing and, and what side you shoot on and which position you play. It's just it's it's interesting um, how how much that can affect, you know, clearly that has had some kind of effect on people's uh careers right because this is a long history of this position being like rare for high scoring players yeah Uh, well i i think what's um what's important to say what important to say about roby tai too though is like he he played in a very high scoring era and scored a lot of points and then he played in a clutch and grab era and still scored a lot of points relative to his peers he was always one of the better scoring left wingers in the league Yep. And to me, that's that that model of you're like, sure, you're buried out in L.A. and until they got Gretzky, nobody paid attention. And then when Gretzky left, nobody paid attention. Uh, the Kings were bad. Then, you know, he, want, he went and, you know, every, everybody bought their cup together in Detroit. Um, but the guy was a phenomenal hockey player from start to finish, as far as I'm concerned. Like, like there's not really a huge drop off. He well played on i mean yes like the last year obviously not when he went back to la it was sort of like i want to retire as a king um he could have very easily won that cup with detroit and rode off into the sunset but i think he really mm-hmm. wanted to just finish his career in la because he's one of the mr king guys um yeah. but i mean when he was i would assume that his uh, his lack of quality seasons come right at the end there um yeah they do. where he was just trying to be you know a good soldier and sort of do his la king's duty um, eh, duty. Um, um, but you know what? It's like uh, t- to me, it's. It, can you name five left wingers who were better than him over his career? No. <laughs> like, yeah. like I don't even think it's close. So to me, like I, I, I have no issue with him being in the Hall of Fame. In fact, I, I, I'd say given his positional eligibility, and how many points he, how many goals and points he put up over his career, I think he's a slam dunk. Yeah. Um, you know. Well, he's, the- if he was in a different circumstance, who knows what he might have been able to do? Um, I, I feel like a lot of it, obviously he played, you know, during the Gretzky era, and those Kings were very good, but most of the time they were just they were, the, you know, between Vancouver and the LA Kings to see who was going to be, you know, let's fight it out for who's going to kick us in the teeth, the Flames or the Oilers yeah, in yeah. round one. Like that's just what you played for. You just knew you were going to get smoked. So I mean that's like the first five years of his career, I would say. So, I mean, then Gretzky shows up, everything changes, but it's still, it takes a while before that sort of takes effect. And then he goes, you know, he gets traded, he moves on, but he's never on a great team until he plays with those Red Wings. Right. Yeah. Um, Just to, to confirm what you're saying, you said, you know, he, he also scored in, uh, in the clutch and grab era. And that is true. And I just forgot to mention his adjusted average, it, it barely, when you adjust for error, it only drops off two points. Wow. So, yes. like, he clearly, like, so despite the fact he scored way more of his points in the 80s and early 90s, you know, he was still relative to the league putting up points at a very, um, you know, very consistent to the rate he had been when you adjust for error uh, in the in the higher scoring era. Yeah. So, you know, that that's not something everyone was able to do transition like that, right? I mean, look at Rick Tuckett. Oh, man. Poor Rick Tuckett. Um, 
yeah so um it's it, it's you know it uh it's interesting that Robbie Ty I don't think gets the sort of fanfare that a lot of Hall of Famers did where people are like yeah he was great and it's like I, I just maybe it's the West Coast thing not a lot of people saw him play you knew he yeah. was great you yeah. never saw him and he was just sort of out there doing his look Robbie Ty thing yeah but, uh, for, for for me it's a no doubter for sure yeah. Oh, I wasn't trying to say it wasn't. I just, I find it interesting, you know, because he has these all-time records. But then if you look relative to the league as a whole and not to other left-wingers, if you looked relative to other left-wingers, he would be number one for his era. But, like, to the league as a whole, you see, like, such a big difference in scoring. And it's just, I just find that that whole aspect of, like, the huge differences based on uh, shot to be very interesting. Um, but yeah, for me, he's also an absolute no doubter. Like I just, I just, just find it an interesting, uh, you know, historical phenomenon. Yeah. So um, last oh, week. By the way, by the way. Sure. Point of clarity. Yeah. Before I said Lemieux may have scored 300 points in his last year in the queue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was 282. Oh, that was really far I off. I, I think you should, you know. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So, speaking of of verifying things, I don't. Um, this source isn't great, but there is definitely someone attributing to the uh, Robotai, um, the fire hydrant quote about Lemieux. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, oh no, no, Gretzky. Sorry, you're right. It's it's an article about Lemieux, but it it's about there's a quote about Gretzky. So, is, it, is it Dave Semenko? Um, no, it, it doesn't identify who, but this is an article from 2010, so it's not, uh, okay. you know, um, it's not the original, that's for sure. It's just, it could be one of those things that gets repeated, right? And yeah, 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 totally. Broken telephones, and which is why I probably, someone, whoever told it to me probably, I assume said Lemieux, and that's why I thought. Um, so lastly, we have... Frank Fredrickson, uh, not to be confused with uh, Frank Foyston or whoever, or somebody Foyston, another alliterative guy who we talked about earlier, who was born around the same time, um, who we are talking about in part because he played on the West Coast for Victoria for seven or so years before coming to the NHL. Um, he, uh, he only played in the NHL at the tail end of his career from 26 to 1931, and uh, he was in his 30s. Um, and so he, you know, he doesn't, his NHL numbers are uh, are not great in part because of his age and also because that was the point at which the league was slowing. There was a period in the late 20s uh, where the league was really uh, sort of slowing down offensively, mid to late 20s compared to the early, um, the very first season. And then... Um, and then exploded again a little bit in the 30s, but by that point, Foyston would have been, or Fredrickson, Jesus, uh, would have been uh, in his uh, late 30s, I believe. So so his NHL numbers are not great. 73 points in 161 games. Um, for his era among 30-plus-year-old players uh, who played at least three full seasons, he's a top-five offensive player, though. Um, so that's, you know, with qualifiers, but was 
one of the better old guys anyway. Um, but his 44 game average for back then is 20 points because he, you know, he, he really, when his career fell off a cliff, it fell off a cliff. Um, and uh, his playoff numbers are not great. Five points in 10 games. Um, his, should we read out his adjusted numbers? Cause they're ridiculous, even though we know they're crazy. Oh, sure. Go ahead. 75, uh, sorry, 80, adjusted 82 game average of 38 goals, 81 assists for 136 points. That is not real. <laughs> it's so much. Um, yeah, so he, he played less than two full modern seasons, of course, so that really is uh, skewed. Um, he didn't, uh, he was traded a bunch of times. So he was, he came into the NHL because the NHL bought, like, some of the NHL teams bought the contracts of some of the, like, W, uh, CHL, WHL teams when they were folding. So that's how he came in. But he was traded uh, twice during his NHL career for old guys. So he was traded with uh, Harry Meeking for Duke Keats, who we talked about. And he was also traded uh, two years later for Mickey McKay, who we also talked about. Um, so apparently there were these teams that just wanted like the, like, you know, the, the PCHA, WCHL veterans and were just swapping them. Uh, which is interesting. And he well, was I mean, way... I just, those, those guys had reputations and probably you'd say, oh, we got such and such a player, you could probably sell more tickets just because that yeah. name was well known. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those All these guys were big, like, were had good careers. So even though they were all down, you know, down near the end of their careers at this point. but um, So he was in the PCHA for four seasons and he was... Uh, good um, is one way of putting it. Um, he uh, he's probably ninth all time in goals and twelfth all time in assists and uh, ninth all time in points in PCHA history, despite the fact he only played four seasons. So that suggests that he was you know uh, a pretty good player and. Uh, um, he is probably third all time in goals per game, assists per game, and points per game if you set the qualifier to a minimum of three seasons for P- the PCHA. So he's one of the third three best forwards in the history of the PCHA. Cyclone Taylor is the first. Uh, the second, I am not sure off the top of my head, uh, but uh, Fredrickson is the third. Um, and then uh, playoffs, they barely play playoffs, so it's point, uh, two points in two games. It's, you know. They mostly, the PCHA mostly just tried to play the NHL for the cup. (laughs) And then that dissolved and he went to the WCHL and he played two seasons there, both of which were good. Despite only playing two seasons in this league, he is 17th all-time in goals, 19th all-time in assists, and 15th all-time in points. And he is, uh, you you set a qualifier to only one season, he's 7th all-time in goals per game, 9th all-time time in assists per game six all time in points per game so one of the top 10 players in wchl history in addition to top three in pcha history so he was he was good it's safe to say i feel like yes um 14 points in 16 playoff games for the wchl so uh you know not quite a point per game but it's also the playoffs and and who the hell knows what playoff scoring was like in the wchl in the (laughs) mid-20s Um, he had a lot of accomplishments. He was, uh, 
his first year in the NHL, he was one of the five best offensive players in the league. And then the rest of his NHL career was less illustrious. So this next thing, I wasn't sure whether to talk about it or not, because it's a bit of a spoiler. But it's a spoiler both for the audience and for you, Bill. Um, but Ooh. I'm going to I'm going to say it. So. I went ahead and without without telling you about it, I tried to figure out who would have won the MVP in the pre NHL or other NHL leagues um, for to give us something to talk about in our like early. You know, we're, so we, we have a series coming up where we're going to I'm gonna say what it's about. We're going to talk about the heart. And so to, to talk about, um, like, who was the MVP of these these leagues before these awards existed. And in my opinion, uh, Frank Fredrickson would have been the MVP of the PCHA in 1921 and 1923. Oh, my. So we may talk about that. We are going to talk about that in a future episode. And, Bill, you may look at the numbers and, and decide that, no, it was somebody else. But... Um, that's who I'm going with, uh, because he was, as you can see, he led the league in goals a bunch of times. He led the league in assists a bunch of times. He led the league in points a bunch of times. <laughs> he was good. Yeah. He was um, good yeah. And then he went to the WCHL and was a top five offensive player for the seasons he was there. So, you know, he was, at least for a time, one of the best hockey players in the world, probably in the 1920s. You know, and obviously there's a qualifier in that who knows if these leagues were quite as good as the NHL. They probably weren't. They usually didn't win the cup, but they were still pretty good. They had a number of great players. You know, not all the great players went from the NHA to the NHL, right? Some of them were in these other leagues. So his great teams, uh, he was uh, on uh, a Bruins team that went um, – to the Stanley Cup final, um, and then another one that I wrote final four, but basically just made the playoffs. Uh, he was he he has a really weird um, he they claim he won a Stanley Cup in 1929. Oh really? But he had actually been traded. Oh. And I what see. happened was there was a uh, there was I'm trying to remember this, but basically. They they were they were they needed another level of the cup to add the names, and whoever went and etched on um, the team uh, had had uh, the the Bruins who had won that year put on the players that they had traded away as well, no. even though that was against the rules. So he's <laughs> one of a couple guys on the cup who actually officially haven't won the cup, or yeah. for that particular uh, yeah year yeah year. Though I don't think he actually ever did. Um, anyway, so that's a weird thing. Um, and he wasn't the only one. They, were, they traded a couple guys, and a couple of these guys got etched into the cup. But, uh, yeah, so he's on the Stanley Cup for, for the 1929 Bruins, but he was not on the roster anymore. Now, he did win an Olympic gold medal. Um, the last one Canada won, I believe, before, uh, you know... Um, the 2002 one. Or one of the last, anyway. Yeah. Um, and he was probably the best player on the 1920 um, Olympic team. So unlike unlike some of these other players we've talked about from his age group, he, 
he was still a he was still an amateur mm-hmm. in uh, after World War One briefly, and he he was on this amateur team that won both the Allen Cup, which is how they got to go to the Olympics, and yep. then went to the Olympics and won. Yeah, the Winnipeg Falcons. Yeah. Yeah, they they uh, Team Canada used those jerseys at one point. They're like kind of mustard oh, cool. yellow, and some red, and some black, and yeah, they're they're neat uniforms. Cool. Um, and he, uh, yeah, he he was probably their best player. He was. Uh, he certainly seems to have a lot of points for them. Good. So uh, yeah, so he's a gold medal if he doesn't have his Stanley Cup champion. Oh no, he he did. That that comes later. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, and so then uh, in the PCHA, he was probably the best player on a PCHA team that almost won the league and tried to go to the cup, but it didn't quite. And then in the WCHL, he was one of the top players on the the last non-NHL team to win the Stanley Cup, the uh, 1925 Victoria Cougars. And uh, that team went to the um, the Stanley Cup final again the next year and lost. But that was right when the league was dissolving. Um, so he had a pretty amazing career. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, I mean, he just—I don't know—he he was one of those players that, like, everywhere he went until he hit a certain age, he was a star. He was yeah. a star at the amateur. He was a star in the PCHA. He was a star in the WCHL. He was a star in his first season in the league in the NHL before he got too old. You know, I mean. What more do you want to say about the guy, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he had an excellent, excellent career. Makes sense. He's in the Hall of Fame, and uh, I, I mean, I'd never heard of him. Um, he was a, I guess he's of his, though he was born in Winnipeg, he's of Icelandic descent. Was of his oh. Icelandic descent. I don't know how many Icelandic descended NHL players there have been. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, but he was, I mean, he just, he had a really great career and he was, when he was, you know, he had, he had, a, at least one year in the PCHA where he was just ridiculous. 55 points in 30 games. Um, one year. So that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, I mean, I, to me, there's, it's just no doubt. Another no-doubter for sure. Yeah. So shall we recap? Let's do. In in case people don't remember, Dave Taylor. Uh, Solid no. All right, me too. Luke Robitaille. Slam dunk. Me too. And Frank Fredrickson. Another slam dunk. (laughs) Agreed. Yeah. Um, So yeah, once again, no disagreement uh, between us. So uh, do, but it's very rare. Yeah, it's really rare. Uh, so next uh, next episode, we have a Detroit Red Wings episode uh, where we're going to be talking about Iserman and Zetterberg and then a yeah. guy who didn't play for Detroit, but I'm going to come oh, up with some reason why we're talking about him. From Michigan, right? Something like that? Uh, it's really not anywhere. <laughs> it's just, he's just an old-timer at a good career. Yeah. Good enough for me. Well, the yeah. Red Wings like old people, so there you go. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, they tried to they tried to put on the Red Wings in 1955. Let's just <laughs> say something like that. When he was like, he couldn't walk. I don't know. He might not. This guy might not even been alive by then, for all I know. Yeah, but. sounds about right. All right. So thanks everyone for listening, and we will see you next time. Take care.